Um, the beautiful thing about this year is that uh, Maria is uh, stepping down from uh, being involved in children's ministry so that she can be in this service more uh, as well. I know some of you have sometimes wondered, where is your wife? You know, the biggest service, and she's downstairs, but she's going to miss being with the kids. And uh, I got to just say, thank you so much for the break. And it has been wonderful, and I want to say a huge, huge shout out to the staff. Um, they have done a phenomenal job during the time that I've been away, and so you have hired well, and you have been led well, and thank you to the staff and to the board and to all the volunteers. Um, there were times Marie and I literally said to each other, I don't know if they need us. And so, uh, you know, you do, but uh, you just um, don't be like, well, then, you know. But uh, it has been a really good break. Uh, I, I think if some of you are business owners, you would maybe understand what it's like to go three months and not have to be responsible for anything. And, you know, because I know business owners, you don't really ever clock out. You're always thinking. And, and so for three months of just being able to say, you know, I don't, don't need to be thinking about church and, and those kind of things. And so um, thank you very much for the break. And I know you didn't come here to hear about our sabbatical. And so um, let's start with our sermon series. Uh, we are in a theme for this year called... Um, for the sake of the world. That is the theme. I like working with themes. And so that's the theme that we chose for this year. And just kind of saying, you know, what, what is it that we want God to do in us? And then the bigger question is, why do we want him to do this in us? Why do we want God to do a work in us? And, and I think sometimes as Christians, we can be so inwardly focused. And churches can be so inwardly focused. And so this theme is basically saying, God, we want you to do a work in us for the sake of others. So that what you do in us, God, if you bless me, God, if you show me something new in Scripture, God, if you prompt my heart to something, would you do that, not just for me, obviously I will be a beneficiary of that, but Lord, would you do that in my heart for the sake of others? And I think sometimes God wants to do something in us more for others than just for ourselves. And I believe that the whole gospel, the, the gospel of Jesus, is always given to us so that we would share it. It was never meant to hit a dead end. So when you hear the gospel, when you received Christ, that was not the finish line. We talk about that a lot here. You did not cross a finish line when you gave your life to Jesus. You crossed the starting line. In a sense, your new journey begins, and that journey is meant to be shared with others. And so the theme that, that we've been going through this year, I think, ties in really well with what I want to talk to us in these next three Sundays, this Sunday and the next two. I want to talk to us about breakable barriers. And what are the breakable barriers that we want to talk about? I think all of us have these barriers in our lives, and there are many that we may just stumble against over and over and over. And so the three breakable barriers that I want to talk about, we're going to start with insecurity this morning. The, the barrier of insecurity. Next Sunday, I want to talk about fear. That the fear, whether it's the you know, fear of the unknown or whatever your fear may be, um, we're going to talk about how do you break through the barrier of fear. And then the last Sunday, I want to talk about laziness. Now, I understand all of you are like, oh, my word. He comes back from a three-month sabbatical, and the first thing he does is call us lazy. Uh, that's not what I'm doing. That's not what I'm doing. Um, hear me out. I believe very strongly that you can be extremely busy and lazy at the same time. And so we're going to unpack that. There you go. Where's my kids? They're like, you always say unpack. There you go. We're going to unpack that and wrestle with it and, and help us understand what we mean with that. So let's talk this morning then about insecurity. What is insecurity? Now, the first thing I want you to just notice is we're going to talk about this critical inner voice. A critical inner voice. All of us have this critical 
inner voice in our lives that, that speaks to us. It's like a bad coach that's constantly yelling at us and saying, you can't do anything right. You're doing everything wrong. You, you, you can't do this. And you're a failure. And you're just steps away from doing things wrong. You know, we all know what a hard coach is like. And then consider now a bad coach who's always pointing out only the negative in you. That is your critical inner voice. Stephen Furtick wrote a book called Chatterbox, and he writes, and he, he spoke a lot, and he talked a lot about this critical inner voice in that book. This voice in your heart, this voice in you that is constantly running you down. This voice never says anything good about you. It takes everything about you and turns it negative. So insecurity is one of those things that this voice is going to constantly tell you and, and push. And so what is a basic in, uh, definition of insecurity? Now, the most basic definition of insecurity is insecurity is being uncertain or anxious about oneself. It's not necessarily about what you can do or can't do. Insecurity is this very, very basic, you know, uh, or sorry, the very basic definition of insecurity is this constant you know, feeling of being uncertain or anxious about yourself. It's a lack of confidence in the abilities of oneself. You know, mostly though what happens, insecurity almost always comes from within. You might look at something and say, oh my goodness, I have this big thing coming up and I'm so insecure. Your insecurity always comes from within. These outward things, these external things will only trigger the insecurity that is already within you. Insecurity is this inability to really um, be confident in yourself, and we're going to talk, talk about that a lot. Now, that may not sound like all that much. You might look at this and say, insecurity doesn't sound like it's all that serious, but insecurity can be debilitating to people. There are people who have missed major opportunities in life because of their insecurities. Insecurities can cause you to lose friends. Insecurities can cause you to choose the wrong friends. Insecurities can cause you to lose your job. Insecurity can cause you to even struggle in intimacy in your marriage. And so insecurity is this incredible thing that all of us in some way or another struggle with. Insecurity, I believe, is far more destructive, far more powerful than most of us are willing to give it credit. There's a man in the Old Testament named King Saul. He's the first king of Israel. And King Saul is probably the definition of insecurity. And King Saul is described in 1 Samuel chapter 9, verse 2, as a handsome man, a young, handsome man. And he is a head taller than everyone else. So in other words, just because you look good and just because people literally have to look up to you doesn't mean you can't struggle with insecurity. And so here's this king and his prophet, the prophet of Israel at that time was a man named Samuel. And Samuel is sort of the spokesperson, or he is the spokesperson from God to Saul. And so he gives Saul these instructions in chapter 10, verse 8. He says, go down to Gilgal, and I will surely come to you to, to sacrifice burnt offerings and fe excuse me, fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you to, uh, and tell you what to do. Pretty clear instructions. But in chapter 13, we see what's happening. Saul and his armies is up against the Philistines in this massive army. And all the soldiers on the Israelite side are so afraid that they begin to scatter. And they literally hide in every crevice that they can find. And here's Saul. He's the king. Everyone's looking at him. He's 30 years old. And everyone's looking at him. And, and now what do we do? What are, what are we going to do in this situation? And Saul is forced to wait. Now, as a modern reader, a reader from today, we may easily sympathize with Paul, I mean, with Saul. 
We may, we may sympathize with Saul because Samuel shows up late. His army's starting to scatter. The enemy is clearly outnumbered. They clearly outnumber them. And everything is going against him. And so it's easy for us to sympathize with Saul. But Samuel had given him very clear instructions. Wait seven days and I will do the burnt offerings, not you. But look at verse thir- chapter 13, verse 8. He's waited seven year- days, sorry, at a time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come down to Gilgal. And Saul's army began to scatter. Okay? This is the moment of insecurity for any leader. This is the moment of any person who you have ever led. Maybe you're a parent and all of a sudden your kids are beginning to question you. At that moment, your insecurity is going to kick in. You're a boss. You're, you're in charge of people at work. You're, you're a leader of whatever it may be. And all of a sudden, people are like, well, why? Why should we do this? I'm not sure. I'm not showing up for this and this. Your insecurity is going to kick in at that very moment. And that's exactly what happens to Saul. His men begin to scatter. Verse 9, he said, bring me the burnt offerings and the fellowship offering. And Saul offered up the burnt offerings. Just, of course, typical Bible story, right? Just as he finished making this offering, Samuel arrives and Saul went out to meet him. I'm not going to read the rest right now, but what happens is Samuel basically tells Saul, what in the world were you doing? And because you disobeyed, your kingdom will be removed from you. Now, like I said, we may want to sympathize with Saul in this and say, well, Samuel, you were late. But what we see is that Samuel was just barely late. As soon as the time was, that was stipulated um, for that moment, as soon as that came, Saul, Saul was like, okay, never mind. He's not here. Let's do this. And if he had waited just a little bit more, Samuel would have been there. In Galatians chapter 2, we see another incidence of insecurity. And this time it's found in the Apostle Peter. Peter was part of the Jerusalem council when they made the decision that Gentiles can also be Christians. Gentiles can also receive the Holy Spirit. And that they're really, that the, the Jewish people, the Judaizers, were not going to expect the Gentiles to do the same things as the Jewish people. Because they did not have those as part of their customs. So circumcision and all those other things regarding food and, and cleanliness and all those things. They were not going to regard or, or require the Gentiles to do those things because they're Gentiles. Peter was there. Peter was a strong spokesman on behalf of that decision saying we must make it easier for them. And so the council of Jerusalem agreed. And so now Peter's in Antioch and we read that Peter was probably very comfortable being around Gentiles. As a matter of fact, he was so comfortable that he would eat with them, which was a huge no-no for Jewish people. But let's read what happens. The apostle Paul writes this in Galatians chapter 2 verse 11. When Cephas, which is the Aramaic name for Peter, came to Antioch, Paul writes, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, James is the brother of Jesus who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And we don't think that James sent these men here, but for whatever reason, these men came and they said we represent James back home. And most likely they were maybe false teachers or something like that. But it says before certain men from James came, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group, those people who came from James. Isn't it interesting that Peter was so confident, he stood up and he preached in Acts chapter 2 and he proclaimed, but now all of a sudden that Maybe people would wonder a little bit, what are you doing, Peter? Why are you doing this? These guys show up from 
you know, um, Jerusalem or wherever they may have been, they represent, you know, the, the, the Judaizers, the people who are strong in this belief that you have to be circumcised in order to be a Christian, that you had to combine those two. And all of a sudden, here's Peter, and he backs off completely. Peter had no issue eating with Gentiles until this happened. But now that these men were here, all of a sudden his insecurity kicked in. I would say to you that insecurity was there the whole time. This was just something that triggered it. So obviously all of us need to ask now for a moment, what is our insecurity that we already have? And what triggers that insecurity? I hope that by now you're beginning to understand the power that insecurity can have in your life. And some of you in this room may say, well, I have been imprisoned to my insecurity for as long as I can remember. I grew up being told I was nothing. I grew up being told I couldn't do anything right. I grew up always being reminded of my failures. And to this day, that's what I believe about myself. Remember, insecurity is that critical inner voice, that critical inner voice that is always telling you the worst about you. It will always say things like, you can't do anything right. You're such a loser. You can't make friends. You're overweight. You're a failure. And insecurity will kick in even in those moments when you are relatively confident in what you're about to do. Insecurity is going to kick in and say, well, yeah, 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 but I bet you you got lucky. Yeah, you did fine last time, but what about this time? And insecurity, that critical inner voice in you will always remind you of the worst about yourself. So how do you recognize insecurity? First thing you need to know is insecurity is almost always easier to see in other people than in yourself. I got this from psychology today. It, it says this. Here are four ways or four, four ways to recognize insecurity. Number one, the insecure person tries to make you feel insecure about yourself. The insecure person tries to make you feel insecure about yourself. When you start to question your own self-worth, and if it is typically around a specific person or a type of person, most likely that person is pushing their insecurity on you. So if you're always confident around certain people, but now suddenly you're with your group of friends, or now suddenly you are with, you know, um, whatever it may be, be careful that you are not allowing their insecurity to be pushed on you. Because what you need to know about an insecure person is in, for them to feel better about themselves, their my main focus will be to try to make you feel insecure about yourself. Because then suddenly they don't feel so bad about themselves. Be careful that you're not that person doing that. That if you're insecure about yourself, that you don't push your insecurity upon other people. Number two, the insecure person needs to showcase his or her accomplishments. This is the person who has to constantly brag about how well they do everything. They're, they're very inferior to everybody or everything, and so they will constantly, constantly project themselves. They will constantly brag about how educated they are, how great their job is, how good they are in sports, how this, 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 and this. And I'm not saying that's by definition always an insecure person, but most often an insecure person must do everything they can to make sure that you see how good they are because that helps them have self-worth. And so most of us probably know someone like this, who, you know, you recognize that they're, you know, that they're good at one thing, but you may recognize that they are struggling with other things, but this person has to, every conversation goes back to what they're good about, good with. And this is their way, again, of masking their insecurity. So although they may 
feel very negative about themselves. You know, overall, they need to make sure that they brag about them. This is the person who has to always one-up your story. Anybody know someone like that? You tell a story, it's like, oh my goodness, I walked on the moon. Yeah, well, I walked on the moon with one leg. You know, it's always one up. You know, I'll be the first one on Mars. That's a little extreme, I'm sorry. But, you know, this is the person who always has to one up your story. Number three, the insecure person um, drops the humble brag far too often. I don't know how many of you understand the humble brag. The humble brag is a brag disguised as a self-derogatory statement. But really what they're doing is bragging about themselves. This is the person on Facebook who's like, oh my goodness, I am so tired of traveling because my job requires me to. Humble brag. You know, here's one that um, my kids came up with. I was up till midnight studying so that I can keep my marks up. Humble brag. I want you to all know that I have to struggle so much because I'm so amazing. You know, humble brag. I heard some of the on the staff saying, I know a family member who is the definition of humble brag, and I want to point you out, but that would be rude. You know, so I'm sure all of you, but the humble, the, this insecure person constantly, they want to constantly remind you just how amazing they are. Number four, the insecure person frequently complains that things aren't good enough. The insecure person is the one who is always presenting themselves as they are the standard holders. Nothing's ever good enough. Nothing's ever, you know, okay because they have to be the ones that can always raise the standard of everything. This, the, um, people uh, high in inferiority like to show that they have high standards so that, again, we feel intimidated by them. And it's a way of protecting them. Like you, you may be like all confident in something like, well, I just don't think that we do that well enough. Oh, I thought we could have done that so much better. They raise the standard in a way that makes you feel insecure about what you did. So overcoming or breaking the barriers of insecurity are so important. If you, in these four, if you recognize yourself or if you recognize some people around you, I want to challenge all of us today to consider how we can then break through this barrier of insecurity. So what do we do? What if at this moment you realize that you are struggling with insecurity? And you know that you've been doing this for years. How do you finally break through insecurity? The flip side of insecurity, and we've already used this word a few times. The flip side of insecurity, in other words, the opposite in a sense. The opposite of insecurity, or the flip side of insecurity is confidence. Confidence. Some of us are very intimidated by confident people. Confidence is such an important thing for all of us. But hear me out. Confidence is a thing that, you know, it's, uh, that we all need in order to break free from insecurity. But we need to recognize that if we do not place our confidence in the right thing, that our confidence, the thing that we are confident in, can actually be the very thing that feeds our insecurity. So we need to make sure that we place our confidence in the right thing or the right place. Because if we don't place our confidence in the right place... Our confidence or what gives us confidence could be very likely the thing that feeds our insecurity. Let me explain what I mean by that. If you've placed your confidence in your career, I have a good career, what happens if that career gets challenged? What happens if they hire someone who can do this better than you? If your confidence is in your finances, if your confidence is in your, you know, your sports, what happens if you break something? 
What happens if you don't make the team? If your confidence is in the wrong place, then that is the very thing that could possibly feed your insecurity because you could end up sitting there going, man, I'm so glad I have this job. I'm so glad I make this and this much. I'm so glad I'm able to do sports like this or this or this. And all the while, in the back of your mind, you're going, I hope no one takes this from me because I don't know what I'll do if they do. So it's important then for us to place our confidence in the right place. Now, if you're a church person, you already know where I'm going with this. So I'm asking you now, please don't wrap the sermon up for me. Let me do it for you, okay? Most of you are now going, Jesus, done. Now, who's playing today? You know, we can just be out of here nine minutes early, pastor. Just let me wrap this sermon up for now, okay? Um, so yes, Jesus is obviously the place where we need to place our confidence. But let me challenge our thinking on that a little bit. Not saying that he isn't, but I want to wrestle with this rather than saying, what is it about Jesus that can give you confidence in your insecurity? What is it about Jesus that can give you confidence in your insecurity? Because insecurity is an interesting creature. It is very different than some other things because it's the inner voice in you that is always running you down. So you're going to have to be careful that you understand the answer to this because your, inner, your critical inner voice is going to turn whatever you give it backwards. And it's going to take the very thing that you have and it's going to try to defeat you with it. Some of you have already experienced this many times. You will tell yourself, well, I did fine last time. Yeah, but that was last time. It's different this time. And your critical inner voice just, boom, turned it around on you. So what is it about Jesus that can give you confidence? So number one, is it that he's all-powerful? Is that it? Is, it? is it because he's, you know, all-powerful, knows, you know, you know he, he can do everything? I don't know about you, but when I'm around very powerful people, I actually become insecure. So is it, is it that he's all-powerful? Absolutely. You may have a struggle in your life, and it is awesome to know that you have an all-powerful God. But I would say that possibly in the area of your insecurity, that may not help you a lot. As a matter of fact, it's possible that some of you struggle to have a relationship with Jesus because you see him so threatening because he's so powerful. How in the world can I come before such an all-powerful God? And so you actually hold back. I'm not saying this is a negative thing. I'm just saying we need to understand what is it about Jesus that can give us confidence in our lives. What about the next one? Is it the fact that he's all-knowing? You know, his, his omniscience. He, he knows all things. He, he, he is every, you know, he's, he's able to see everything we do. He knows all the things. I'm guessing for some of us that doesn't help our insecurity at all because now suddenly you realize not only did he see everything I do, he also knows my heart. And he knows where that came from. And so suddenly, knowing that God and Jesus knows all things, that may not give us the confidence that we need. Now, when we are up against a struggle and we don't know what to do in our lives and we need to make a big decision, at that moment, oh man, it is awesome to know that God is all-knowing and that there's no question we can't throw at him that he does not have the answer to. But in the area of insecurity, we want to be careful because that may threaten us more than give us confidence. Hope you're still following me. What about the next one? What about the fact that he is omnipresent, that he is all present? There is nowhere you cannot go where God is not. Now again, I love that one when I'm away from my kids, 
I love that one just in knowing that no matter where I am, no matter where my family is, no matter whatever it may be, God is here. He is everywhere all the time. But in the area of insecurity, okay, we're talking about insecurity. In the area of insecurity, all of a sudden knowing now that God is everywhere. In other words, I cannot get away from him. So if I feel threatened by him here, I feel threatened by him here. And I'm al- I always feel threatened by him because I'm insecure about who I am and I cannot get away from God. Now these are not criticisms of God. But hear me out. We are dealing with insecurity. And it doesn't help to say, well, we serve an all-powerful God who knows all things and who is everywhere and he can help you. Can I suggest something? I wonder if that's the very reason some of you have a hard time having a deep, intimate relationship with God because you feel so out of your league. And you wrestle to really believe that God can love you. Your insecurity actually creeps up in this thought of worshiping and loving and being vulnerable with an all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God scares you. So what is it then about Jesus that can give us confidence? I believe it is this. It is that he is immutable. In other words, he is unchanging. He is unchanging. Think about that for a moment. Insecurity so often is threatened most with change. Your insecurity probably comes up the absolute most the moment something is new in your life. All of a sudden you're being asked to deepen your relationship with God. Like, what if I can't? What if I goof up again? What if I do the same thing I said I wouldn't do? And change, change brings out your insecurity. So at this moment, I want you to just recognize that God does not change. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, Jesus says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Listen to this quote from J.I. Parker, uh, Packer, sorry, from his book, Knowing God. It says, where is the sense of distance and difference then between believers in the Bible times and ourselves? He says, it is excluded. On what grounds? On the grounds that God does not change. Fellowship with him, trust in his word, living by faith, standing on the promise of God are essentially the same reality for us today as they were in the Old and New Testament believers. This thought brings comfort as we enter into the perplexities of each day. Amid all the change and uncertainties of life in a nuclear age, God and his Christ remain the same, almighty to save. So think about that for a moment. If you have ever received any comfort from the Word of God, if you have ever read the Bible and and said to yourself, man, that is beautiful, that is awesome, that same God is the same for you and I today. God does not change. And I trust that just knowing that, knowing that God is always the same is a huge comfort for each one of us. So in these moments when we are here, you know, we don't have to say, well, today I goofed up. Is God still going to love me? Today I did this. Is God still going to love me? If he loved you yesterday, he loves you today. If he's willing to forgive your last sin that you committed, he is willing to forgive every sin. He has forgiven every sin that you committed. There is nothing you can do. God does not change. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 13, it says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. I am the beginning and the end, the first and the last. 
He doesn't change. So I want to give you a challenge then to do three things before you go. And maybe you'll need to continue to do these as you, as you leave here. But what do we do with this? So what? That's the question. So what? So we know that insecurity is powerful. We maybe recognize our insecurity in ourselves. And we know now that confidence is the thing that we need to break the barrier of insecurity. And we know that we can place our confidence in Jesus because he is never changing. So now what? I want to ask you to do three difficult things. Number one, I'm going to ask you to place your trust in God. In this unchanging God. To place your trust in him. To know that he hasn't, if he hasn't you know, wiped you off the face of the earth yet, he's not planning on doing so. To place your weaknesses and your insecurities into your hand, his hands. To give yourself completely to him. The second thing I want to ask you to do is to begin to believe the best about yourself. No more negative talk. Silence the critical inner voice. The more you allow the critical inner voice to speak, the louder it gets. And it's possible that for some of you, the critical inner voice is screaming at you. So we need to silence the critical inner voice. And then thirdly, accept that you may be weak in some areas, and that's okay. Accept the fact that you may be weak in some areas, and it's okay. Not, not all of us are meant to be strong in the same thing. Some of us need to just recognize this is something I'm not good at, and it's okay to not be good at it. None of us were asked to be good at everything. And so some of us, we spend all of our energy trying to get better at something that God never designed for us to be gifted in. Rather, what we should do is spend our energy living out the life that God has planned for us to be. So trust in God. Believe the best about yourself. Stop the negative talk. And accept that you may have some weaknesses and that it's okay to have them. God still has a plan for you, and he will accomplish his plan for you. I would ask you, as you go, to read Psalm 139 for yourself today. If this is something that you struggle with, I would encourage you to read that psalm over your life. And I trust that in this, you will find strength to break the barrier of insecurity. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Deer Run Church. Today... Pastor Ike spoke to us about insecurity and how it can be a barrier in our lives and how we can find confidence to overcome this barrier. We would love to pray for you and, and would love to encourage you to contact the office if you need prayer. Or you can go to dearun.church prayer and send your prayer request to us that way as well. Also, as we go through this series, we would challenge you to have these discussions with your life group. If you're not in a life group, please contact the office. Thank you for being a part of Deer Run Church, and we look forward to seeing you again.